Well, hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land, and welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, friends, it's been a little bit of a time since we've had an episode. Uh, It's been a crazy year for everyone. Uh, We don't really need to speak to that, but I'll let everyone know what's happened Uh, For me, we have moved the SkipCast headquarters to uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I think I mentioned that a little bit in the last episode that we did. Uh, So we're here. We're set up now. Life is moving along. I'm exploring the city. I got to meet Fiona the Hippo a couple of times, so that's very exciting. She is a, a delightful young lady hippo and very full of personality. And the Cincinnati Zoo is a fantastic place, and I fully uh, fully recommend it for anyone on the zoo side. Uh, Cincinnati is a fun town. I'm sure that as things uh, down the road open up uh, as far as COVID restrictions uh, and we start getting things under control, that it's going to be a fun city to be in. Uh, my wife is happy with her job. I start a new job on Monday. Uh, so we are starting to move along and life is getting back to a little bit of normalcy. It is a little strange being this far from any Disney park. I think it's the by far the farthest I've ever lived uh, away from any Disney park my entire uh, last 20 some years. So that's a little bit strange. Um, you know, the the uh, elephant, uh, the, the mother-in-law elephant in the room, um, last week we had uh, a, a large number of our, our friends and our colleagues and our brothers and sisters in the Disney company, uh, that the time had, had run out on, uh, their employment and the ability for the company to keep on funding their healthcare, uh, through this crisis. Uh, so there's a lot of our friends who have lost their, their jobs. Obviously we don't know what's going to happen. We'll absolutely not speak to the politics of this, uh, thing. It's it's not my place to do so. It's not the reason why you come here or, or the discussions we're going to have about it. Uh, but I will say that, you know, my hope is that as the fall uh, goes on, that the Disney company and, and California will be able to find some way to uh, open the park back up, at least to to create some level of revenue and for the company to, to move forward. I don't care. Uh, bump the price of Disney Plus up. Do whatever you need to do to take care of your people. Uh, the, the the fingers are crossed that the park will be reopening uh, at some point in uh, a quick enough time that it's going to let these people uh, who are past that 28,000 people, the other cast members, so that they can uh, keep their jobs and continue their careers with the companies and, and not have the disruption. Uh, we mentioned this in the podcast, but I'm going to say it again, both on the uh the West Coast and East Coast Disney Parks is a group called the Second Harvest Food Bank. I heavily recommend if you have a little bit of money, five, ten dollars, uh, that you make a donation. Uh, the cast members on both coasts rely heavily on that uh, at this point. Uh, we are actually taking uh, the money from uh, our sh- uh, sales of our shirts at the Skipper Store, which you can reach by going to tinyurl.com/theskipperstore. Uh, But all of our sales for the entire month of October are going to be going to the Second Harvest Food Bank for all of our T-shirts and all of our other products. So I fully recommend that you, if you get a chance to uh, make a donation or if you want to just, you know, buy a T-shirt from us, uh, we would love to help support our cast member friends and uh, the communities in both Anaheim and Orlando. So uh, our, our thoughts and our love is with all the cast members, regardless of their position uh, or whether they're still uh, with the company at this time. So let's get on to the good stuff. So um, we, uh, it's been very hard to kind of get my head into the right place for recording podcast episodes and talking about Disney. 
the Jungle Cruise movie was pushed back, obviously, to 2021. A lot of the other films we were looking forward to as well. Um, you know, the theme park on, on the West Coast being closed. Uh, a lot of the other things that have happened this year. It's It's just been a very challenging time to try to put my head in the space of thinking about how to tell stories about the Jungle Cruise and how to how to tell Disney stories at this time when you know we're facing a national pandemic and we have so much happening with our our Disney family. Uh, I, I'm working on a large number of interviews uh, to come in the following months. Uh, I, I've got about four other ones that we're in process of putting together right now. Uh, so we are going to try to continue telling some stories, uh, some of them maybe from a little bit different points of view or from a few different people than you would have expected to hear from. Uh, so please stay with us, uh, you know, like, subscribe, give us a review, all those things that people on podcasts say. You know, we've been lucky enough that are are now going into our ninth year of podcasting, that we have a, a devoted fan base who's been great about supporting us and we still have hundreds of downloads a day. So thank you for sticking with me. I know over the nine years that I, I have been very up and down in continuing to put out content, but I have a lot of plans now that uh, I've stabilized a little bit here in Cincinnati and gosh, I've got a lot of time on my hands. Uh, so there's that. Uh, we are continuing to work on a lot of other stuff and merchandise for the Skipper store as well. So today's interview is with Skipper John Rose. Uh, John was with the parks from 1991 to 1996, and he came back on uh, for a few years at the early aughts to work in a different role. I'm not going to spoil that for you, but please, uh, you'll get that as the episode goes on. Uh, John was a delightful person to chat with. He, uh, as with many people from the 90s, was able to work a very wide variety of roles within the Disneyland Resort, and we just had a fascinating time uh, chatting, reminiscing, and talking about his experiences working during the big Adventureland changes, uh, narrations, and uh, the new Indiana Jones opening. Well, I uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Skipper John Rose, Season 8, Episode 1. Uh, thanks, everyone, for going on this journey with us. And uh, here we go. Tales from the Jungle Cruise, back again. such things. Uh, I know it's kind of a bizarre time. Uh, I certainly over the last nine months have had a hard time figuring out what to uh, put out as far as jungle content that's going to be, uh, you know, not feeding on the conspiracy theory mills and all the things that are out there for for the theme parks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and it sounds like you've had a lot going on relative to just your personal life with moving and everything else. So there's always, yeah, about four or five different things going on in your life at one time, it sounds like. Hey, Cincinnati, that is the capital of Jungle Cruise uh, fan <laughs> fandom, <laughs> at least since I've been here. Uh, it, it raised it up a little bit. No, it's it's not a bad city at all. It uh, It's very green and very happy, and, uh, you know, it's not at all what I expected from Ohio. I, I, yeah, there's I so 
I, I know a few people that have worked in Ohio. Uh, GE's got, I think GE's got a big plant there for, you know, uh, engines and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I've never been through there myself. I had an old uh, Cincinnati Reds banner from way, way, way back that I don't yep. even remember how I got, but yeah, no, a lot of good history there. No, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to chat and see what questions you may have. You know, I've, I've listened to some of the, the historical podcasts I was going through. You know, I was listening to the Jim Vest one last night, mm-hmm. had listened to Larry Campbell before. So just catching up, I, like I said in my email, I, I'm, I'm just kind of a late comer to the to the whole Jungle Cruise thread that you had going on. I'm familiar with Mice Chat and a bunch of the other sites and things like that, but hadn't connected uh, with, with your with your podcast. And it was great to hear some perspectives of not only the the, the Disneyland Jungle Cruise skippers, but the the Walt Disney World and just everything you've been talking about. So it's uh it's it's been funny to hear some of the voices again of the people that I worked with before. So I'm, I was looking forward to to chatting with you. Yeah, we had um there was a uh, guy named Jeff Lessel who was out of the Walt Disney World side, and I've been trying to get Jeff on the show for probably five years, and he's I get the feeling he's a little bit of a techno uh, he's not a technophile at least. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I got so many calls after we interviewed him about how great it was to hear his voice again. And he was a distinctive fixture there for 25 years. So, uh, you know, yeah. quite a quite a uh, uh, deep part of the Walt Disney World Jungle Cruise. Well, let's, let's get started with the basics, obviously. Uh, sure. When you originally came to the Disney company, what brought you to the mouse and when did it happen? So I joined the Walt Disney Company in February of 1991. Uh, I was that was the second that was the second half of my first year over at Cal Poly Pomona, which, if you remember, your geography from Southern California is about 20 miles down the 57 freeway from Anaheim, so a little bit east. I was, uh, yeah, that was the second part of my freshman year, and so I'd always I'd always loved the Mouse House. Um, and and remember, even when I my my folks lived in Oceanside, so you know down south, um, and I remember you know visiting the park, and even as I got closer to being able to being a working age, thinking how great it would be to work in the park, and sending a uh, a typed letter at the time asking about you know how I could apply and and uh, get a job there, and so when I finally got I was going to school at Cal Poly, I thought, hey, you know what, I I should look to see what they have as opportunities there, and I went and. You know, did the interview and uh, got hired into Jungle directly in uh, February of '91. So, was it your uh, was it a preference or was it just random luck that put you in the uh, the best attraction in the park? <laughs> it, it is the best attraction in the park, and, and it was it was random luck. I mean, I you know, there's there's some aspect to you know what what kind of goes into being a Jungle Cruise skipper, right? I mean, there's a there's a component of how you handle yourself kind of with the, 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 the crowds and, and maybe a little wittiness and kind of what the, you know, the HR people maybe read into where you may be the best fit and things like that. So I like to think it was because, you know, I had the right personality and kind of I'll say right look for it or whatever, but you know, as, as a lot of your other people have said, there, there is kind of a persona or a swag or whatever that goes a swagger that goes along with being a jungle cruise skipper. So I was happy I mean, I, I, the, the history part of it being, you know, being one of the original attractions and something that Walt really took a personal interest in. Um, I've always loved the history of the park and the company. And so, um, I mean, I, 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 you know, I was happy and it was an exciting area to work. It was, uh, 
there's a lot going on. You know, I didn't want to be a sweeper. I didn't want to be a, in a, in a shop or selling food or whatever. So I, I thought it was like, you know, the stars had all aligned and I got into a great gig and attractions in an area of the park that was, I mean, had, you know, had some of the best costumes and some of the best attractions. West side was at the time it was nine, five, one, um, you know, before it became West side attractions, but it was, it was where all the action was going on. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, not having been a Southern California person, I can definitely see that for uh, a young man in his, you know, late teens, early twenties, that that there's definitely an appeal there versus, you know, Fantasyland or or uh, Tomorrowland or something. You know, it's funny. I'm just just to slide away from the Disney conversation for a second. It's funny you you sure. co- comment about you know writing a letter to apply for a job. Isn't it funny looking back now, and uh, you know thinking about how we used to do things. I was thinking about like the other day about carrying a pager and pre-cell phone and all, <laughs> all of the things that we had to do. And at the time when it was just the, you know, obviously the one park before California adventure, I think it was like 15,000 or 13,000 people. If you included, you know, all of the outside, you know, HR <laughs> and all of the, and now it's, you know, 35 or 40,000, uh, you know, not, not accounting the things that are happening right now with layoffs, but you know, it's crazy that, uh, you know, the the way that the whole process uh, even getting a job there is just so so different with the Internet and the way that we're doing things now. It's just kind of a crazy juxtaposition. Oh, yeah. Even setting aside the fact that you, you can rarely meet anybody in person anymore. Um, I mean, yeah, it's so, you know, there there's there's job boards for this and there's, you know, everything that's come up around the Internet. I, I, I mean, I can vividly remember sitting in the garage of my folks house with a typewriter on a table and they're typing out a letter trying to convince Disney that I should, you know, hopefully please send me an application. I'd love to work for you. And now, yeah, now it's a click of a button saying, Oh, apply. And, you know, so it, yeah, it, it is, it is very, it's, and, and thinking about the evolution of everything that I saw at the park relative to, you know, even just what the park experience has been. And then, you know, my time in engineering there and seeing everything that's happened and, like you said, I mean, we used to carry pagers when we were in the park or the or the radio, the, the two way radios and everything that we used to have when when you were a lead. And, and so, yeah, no, the, the evolution of, of of it is um, of technology is so interesting. But then it, at the foundation, you know, a lot of the park, I mean, people rely on the, the nostalgia of it. Right. They go back to it because it reminds them of when they were a kid. They don't want to necessarily see everything replaced with VR and, you know, IR and everything else like that. So it's like, you know, the, the, there, there's kind of a. Uh, a reminiscence aspect of it that's really nice when you can go back and like I remember when it was like that 20 years ago so yeah but it is interesting everything that 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 has uh has changed as a result of technology and everything you know not always for the better as we all know well but I and I think that for the most part you know they've tried to make the technology as as invisible as possible uh I mean obviously yeah. you know there's the leads with head you know with the headphone uh, earpieces in and all that kind of you know when you're in a pirate's costume and you've got an earpiece and it's a little awkward <laughs> Uh, but yeah. but when you're a kid, that's not a thing that they're going to notice. And you yeah. know, for the most part, that technology uh, has been really kept uh, kind of out of the way and, and not as intrusive. Mm-hmm. Even like at the jungle lead office where they have a, a little computer, it's all kind of kept out of the way. And they try not to disrupt the, the story as much with uh, with that technology. Uh, do you remember who you you know, your training and your orientation and coming in? Is it still vivid for you? Uh, 30 years ago with, with who it was that you worked with. And- yeah. 
I was going back after we connected. I started going back and trying to pick memories out of everything that. So I, so it was, and I, I remember you talking about this with uh, Jim Vest and with Jerry talking about training back in our day. Cause I think they joined in the eighties. And so I was a, in 91 and it was a two day training. So it was, you know, two, eight hour shifts and it was Chuck Winhausen, which I don't know if that name's come up in any of your discussions. Yeah. It's not one that but, I, uh, that's familiar. Yeah. So Chuck was, Chuck, uh, was my trainer and I'm trying to remember who I trained with. I remember the, what he looked like, but I don't remember his name, the other guy. And uh, yeah, so Chuck, Chuck was, uh, I think he's a software designer now. He may still, he was back then, he was really into computers and software. And so, but he was a very structured and, and, and uh, very uh, by the book kind of a guy. So, you know, there's other leads and trainers that would, you know, like, you know, ah, forget about this. We'll do it later or whatever, you know, but Chuck was very, how very meticulous and very orderly about how everything was going to go about, you know, in the training and everything. And I, and I recall he was good friends with, uh, with Larry Camel and, uh, I'm not, so, uh, buddy hands, buddy hand, uh, and he were good friends. And I think Chuck had, he was a trainer at the time. And I think previously he had been a lead, but something had happened. And I think he'd lost his lead status and he was kind of building himself back up in the, in the, in the department. And, and so he was doing the training stuff again. Great guy. I knew him for years and worked with him over on, I think he even trained me on Thunder later on, but, um, uh, but a really good guy, very, very dry sense of humor. And like I said, you know, it was very, a very structured, okay, we're going to go through this. We're going to do this. And I actually, I mean, later on, I was a trainer and a lead on jungle. And I took a lot of my cues from how I kind of engaged with, uh, cast members and training them from what Chuck taught me, right? I mean, Chuck wanted to make sure I understood the importance of, you know, the boat operations and the and the dock operations and going out in the jungle and understanding what was happening. And, you know, I mean, when we when we did the demo, you know, in the in the hippo pool talking about the the gun and everything, you know, he had done this demo where he took a couple of those the 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 towels that were always on the deck for for mopping up stuff and would fold them over and put it over the barrel and shoot the blank and show that it would still bust through the towel even that so you know this was not something to be messed around with and I always use that demo when I train too you know so it was uh it was Chuck's Chuck's whole approach was you know this is a fun place and it's a an amazing job but it's also something serious that you have to be because people can get hurt right you know I mean we all knew that, that people could get hurt on the jungle if you didn't do things right or you're too cavalier. But yeah, so Chuck was my, was my uh, introduction to training. Uh, and that was my first gig there. And so, but I, I, yeah, I worked with Chuck on the West side for, for the, the whole time that I was there in different roles, but uh, the guy, Ken, I think the guys, the other guy I trained with was Ken. And it was like, uh, i trying to remember if it was a Saturday, Sunday or a Friday, Saturday, but it was, you know, two days and, and, uh, yeah, we would go in the back in, into the boat storage and tear the boat apart and walk through all the different components. Those were the old boats, you know, the the ones that had the the multicolored tops before they did the whole conversion. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a little different back then. But yeah, that was that was my intro. Was kind of you know you can have fun, but you know it is a it's a it's a job and you got to take it serious. And that's that's kind of the the vibe I got from Chuck. Well, and, uh, you know, 90s was kind of the, the late 80s, early 90s was kind of the, the fading of the old military guard uh, that had been right. brought in after Walt passed away. So basically, like the late 60s and through the 70s, uh, you had all of these ex-military guys who had retired out and the the park v, uh, VP of operations had brought in all these department heads. So there was, you know, that really strong military vibe all through that time. 
Um, oh yeah, and if you and if you look at where the park started, you know Fowler, you know he was an admiral. I mean, there was a lot of people that, from the rigor of everything that that Walt tried to instill in the park and the operations and everything else. Oh yeah, that, there was a there's a big connection to to a lot of those type of people. Well, and even the the grooming guidelines, I feel like had a really strong military connection for a long time. And uh, it's it's by going back to your gun safety thing. Uh, the one of the most effective gun safety demos that I ever saw. There was a trainer that used to bring in an armor hot dog and she used to <laughs> tie it with a little hair rubber band to the side of one of the, the rails on the boats and put the the gun maybe eight inches away, six inches away and shoot it and watch this hot dog just dissolve into a fine yep. pink mist. And uh, it was always that this could be your finger, uh, you know, make sure you're safe. So yeah, it was a interesting way of of driving that point home uh, kind of kind of vividly. Um, so, yeah, so you were in the stripey boats, which there's a big, you know, kind of resurgence of nostalgia right now. The Hallmark yep. Hallmark Christmas ornament for this year is a stripey boat. Uh, it's the red. I already red have one. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I picked it up as soon as I saw it. I'm like, I got it. Yeah, junk. That's the thing. I mean, the jungle with everything obviously going on with the movie and stuff like that. There's this whole culture of people that like Tiki, you know, they, they love the, the idea of, you know, everything that goes on with Jungle Cruise and then the connection to the movie, you know, you know, the upcoming movie, but the history of, you know, of kind of how boats have, like that have appeared in movies in the past, mm -hmm. Humphrey Bogart and everything else. It's like, I mean, there's just some weird connection with it that yeah. makes it fun. It makes it a real interactive job. Well, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's obviously a shame that the movie got pushed back, but one of the side effects is that all of the Jungle Cruise merchandise that was originally slated to come out for the movie they've released a lot of it this year. So there's new hats, yeah. there's artwork, all this stuff that was in the production pipeline, they just decided to go ahead and sell it. So uh, yeah, there's this, I, th I think it actually will work out to be good because you're going to get a bunch of people that are engaged with it and, and new people who might not have known will see the merchandise and uh, might come on board for the movie next summer. Oh yeah, it'll 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 do, you know, it'll drive a resurgence. I mean, Jungle's always popular. People love it, right? Because it's, it's a hammy skipper that's out there telling terrible jokes and, and they love the interaction and it's not, you know, with, you know, flat cardboard displays and stuff. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting experience. And you, you know, for the, the time that you're on the boat and, and, and you've, you've seen it a million times, but it's still fun. It's still, you know, the, the interaction just plays so much into it. Plus the fact of, you know, it's, just a, a nice way to relax and enjoy a boat ride around the jungle well and it's you know when uh it's the replay value it's uh oh yeah you know there's very few things uh in the park experience that have you know the replay ability that you get with with jungle but you were there during uh what is arguably one of the most interesting and and exciting times during adventureland's history which was you know the 91 yep. you said you started i know you were there through 96 um, mm -hmm. That the conversion of Adventureland into New Adventureland, the opening of Indiana Jones, uh, yep. you know. So, how did that play into your experience in the area? So, for me, it was a it was a really exciting time. You know, I mean, so I started on Jungle, um, you know, hired in, and and you know, Jungle has you know has a lot of a lot of manpower needs, right? So, a lot of people ended up going to Jungle right off again. You know, they, they needed during the summer, you know, they were running 12 boats, you know, or whatever. So, I mean, they were it was it was it was a busy day. So you needed a lot of bodies. But at the same time, like you said, you know, first when you hired in, it was 951. And then we merged with uh, New Orleans Critter Country and became West Side Attractions. 
there was everything going on with Fantasmic. Um, there's Indiana Jones. So there was a lot that happened and, and it made it, it was really fortunate for me because by the time that I left, you know, I was on opening crew for Indiana Jones, which was an amazing experience because that was such a, a, a unique addition to our side of the park relative to, you know, what you're used to with the boat rides and rafts and, you know, things like that. So it was, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the, and the, the connection that people had to that as a franchise was just, it made it, you know, amazing. So I was on opening crew for Indy. I got trained on Pirates, um, trained on Splash, trained on Country Bear right before it left. So I was able to do that. Um, you know, I trained on Big Thunder, Mark Twain, Columbia. I was the, the night lead on the Fantasmic show for the boats. So I had the Mark Twain in Columbia, and I did a summer out on the river doing that. Uh, guest control at uh, the parade and uh, Fantasmic guest control. And then Tiki, which when I first started, I remember the, the story you had done with Jim Vest and, and Jerry talking about, you know, in the old days when we still had the treehouse rotation. So I, you know, I was, I was in that, that whole series of, of opportunities. And so, you know, besides mansion and, and rafts, you know, I, I learned most of the stuff on the West side, which was great. You know, it was a, it was an exciting way to, to experience so much more than just like, Oh, I come in, I do my time on the jungle and that's all that I know. Um, and I don't know if that was because of, maybe hiring in a little bit before the summer rush or, or everything that was going on and them just, you know, growing the need for more people with experience on stuff. But I was fortunate to learn pretty much everything on the West side. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, you know, pre landlocked and before they started slicing things up into segments in, in uh, 2002, yeah. 2003, you know, that's really when the, the game changed and, you know, you had your people like Maynard who knew attractions in every single oh, yeah. land <laughs> who had to kind of yeah. nar- narrow his focus down to one area but, you know, uh, it, it was uh, an exciting time because there was a lot going on. I actually think that if if you had had an Indiana Jones level ride being introduced now that was moving things around and you the the diehard Disney people would scream about every inch of Jungle River that was being taken away now, regardless of what's yeah. coming next. It uh, the the pre- uh, preservation mentality that's out there right now, you, you almost couldn't get away with the kind of mass changes that had, uh, that were happening at the time. Uh, Oh yeah. Well, there's, there's lots of examples. I mean, if you remember, you know, when they did the whole thing with pirates, you know, there was a backlash on that. And Mm -hmm. and then when they painted, heaven forbid, they painted space mountain, a color other than white. Yep. And the outcry was, you know, Oh my gosh, no, you've changed it. And at the time I was also working in the ride and show engineering department back in TDA. And um, I mean, there was no, you know, there is no ability to change anything. The nostalgia part of it was really strong. And I get that, you know, people love what they've experienced since 55 when some people started coming to the park. And so I understand that. And so, you know, that's where you have to kind of balance sometimes the the small additions and tweaking of stuff versus the the outright, oh, let's tear this down and rebuild it all new, which was, you know, they would never let them like put in a new track for Space Mountain or even paint the building a different color. So, you know, that kind of like off brown color or whatever. Which is funny because, you know, A, uh, I love actually the new Tomorrowland concept and, and uh, mm-hmm. they're obviously pairing it with, with Disneyland Paris and their Discoveryland look. I actually, right. you know, I actually thought that that kind of steampunk uh, kind of aesthetic was, was gorgeous. And I think obviously that you had things like rocket rods that didn't go anywhere, yeah. uh, literally. Yeah. But uh, and but they they did actually change the the interior track to Space Mountain uh, in that 2000 
four ish range. Cause I I got to ride when they were doing cast member demos when they were doing uh, test and adjust, and it oh, okay. is the most terrifying thing in the world to ride Space Mountain with the lights on. It is. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I've done that. And, yeah, and no music. Yeah, that's it's. I'd rather ride with the lights totally off than have them uh, be be on. It's it's. Uh, you don't know how close all those bars look like they are to your head. Oh yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of yeah. There's all sorts of uh, uh, percentile measurements that you use when you're doing that for clearance. You know, figure out what the the 90 percentile person is or whatever. You got to provide all the clearance, and that's and that's and that's a unique thing. Like so, I mean, when I was on doing Indiana Jones, you know, we rode it a bunch of times in advance of ever opening it. I mean, that you know, that's a jarring ride when they were first trying to tune it. And so, but you know, being in the park, okay, so great. You know, you work in, you know, you work uh, jungle and you work some of the other attractions, and then you'll get to do stuff like that, like test and adjust and say, hey, we need people for a couple hours of riding this. All right, you come in, you ride. It's unique experiences like that, which you know, give you kind of the the behind the scenes of what goes on at the park, or is another. It's a side benefit of of being in a cool job of like jungle or thunder or whatever. So. Yeah. Now the in, the indie ride vehicles, uh, I can't even imagine how they were during test and adjust because. That first six months or so when they rolled that out, those ride vehicles were so much bumpier and more jarring than they are today. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, oh, yeah. They yeah. were really so, whipping you around. They were, and they were always hydraulic leaks. I mean, they were constantly having to stop and do a cleanup around hydraulic leaks, which is, obvi- is, is a you know, they consider hazardous material, so the yeah. hydraulic fluid. So it was not like you bring out a mop and you clean it up. I mean, every every downtime they had was an extended downtime because – they had to go through the process of cleaning up the spills. And that was, I mean, the early days of it was, you know, they were, they would run it and then they do a diagnostic on it. And then they were pulling vehicles all the time. And, and I mean, I remember when it, when it came out, I mean, there was such a, there was such chatter about the vehicle. It got its own article, I think in popular mechanics about just how impressive it was as a, as a motion-based vehicle. Um, and when I was, when I was working in ride and show, um, years later we were doing a lot with just the the fiberglass body repairs you know i mean the 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 vehicles themselves just got banged up and the you know people did too sometimes because it was so jarring you know something you sit on the corners where all the all the supports are and all the all the the pistons and everything i mean it could be a it could be a a ride of your life in in the corner of the vehicle so it was a great new experience so and i mean everything they tried to do from the vehicle to the track to the variability of the scenarios to the 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 animatronic everything that they put in it was just like so unique um and it was exciting you know when we did the kickoff and we did the opening and and the special events around it and all the promos and stuff i mean there was so much energy going on Mm -hmm. uh on on the west side during that time yeah now one of the things that was happening in in that range was the narrations uh concept when uh, bruce kimbrell and and uh larry and things like that did you get involved with that did you see you know uh, the, how did you see that affecting the jungle ride? Yeah, I, I remember when it, when it started to, to, there started to be some chatter around it and there, it was, you know, in looking back now, I mean, I see what the intent of it was and, and it, I didn't hold any, any ill will, but it also seemed like there was, you know, there was a focused effort by kind of a, a group of people that said, Hey, I think we can do this. You know, we should try and do this with jungle cruise. Right. And so it was kind of, again at the time you know being a being a 19 20 year old kid or whatever it was it was kind of like oh well they didn't ask me to be in that what does that mean you know so you know there was a they wanted to start with like a core group of people and kind of change the whole way that things are 
you know, the things were done on the jungle and, and I was fine with it. You know, I was off doing other retractions and things like that. I think I spent only my first summer, I think on jungle. And then after that, all my other summers, I think were you know, at other places. So I saw the attraction, the, the narrations complex come in and an effort to, to do that as, you know, Hey, that that's great. See, see how it goes for them. I don't know that I worked, you know, too many more jungle shifts later on because that was really the focus of, of people, you know, fine tuning their characters and, and changing the kind of the interactions. And, and that was just different from where I had been with jungle. And I, I mean, I, I took advantage of other opportunities throughout, you know, the West side to, to do other things. It just seemed a little, I don't want to say clickish, but you know, the idea that, Oh, these are the only people that are going to do jungle was kind of a little exclusionary in some ways. Sure. Sure. Well, and you know, jungle on its own has enough scenarios where if you're not uh, someone who's had the background in public speaking or, you know, uh, delivering jokes and all the other things you have to do to be a skipper, uh, you know, I could see that having that extra pressure of building a character, it's not going to be for everyone. Oh, yeah. And, and that was, a, you know, I mean, like I said before, you know, they needed a lot of bodies on jungle to if you had a busy summer day. And so but there were people that were not cut out for jungle and certainly were not going to be part of the narrations. Right. And there were people that you would never, never think were going to be funny skippers. And you would go out on a boat with them and it was completely dry, but it was the best delivery of a spiel that you'd heard because of just how they, how they, they paced it and how they interacted and, and how, I mean, it was so dry. It was, it was funny that the, the way that they described everything or the jokes that they used. And so, I mean, you never, you, you could never really tell, you know, who was until you rode on a boat with them. You're like, Oh my God, that was like one of the best spiels that I've heard or, you know, so it was, but there were people that you knew that, we're going to, that showed up on jungle. They're like, that was the only ship that they could get or whatever, because you knew they were not a jungle cruise skipper by in, at their heart. You know, there's like, Oh, this is all I could get. Or this is where I got put, you know, I don't want to be over here. And you saw it and how they spieled and how they sat there at the dock and didn't interact with the guests. And it was the most, you know, boring ride that some of those guests have probably ever had on jungle. So it does take, it, it takes a certain kind of a person to do the jungle cruise right anyways, but the narrations was, a step above that. And it was, it was an interesting experience. I mean, and, and what they did, you know, bless their hearts and what they tried to do it. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't directly involved with it, but uh, it, it got a lot of people excited about what jungle could be. Yeah. And I think that there's still some remnants, you know, joke wise and, and theming wise that have stayed from that. And I, uh, you know, I definitely understand, you know, the, the, the pros and cons on it. What was the, um, so when Indiana Jones was opening, what, did you see what, uh, you know, we had a new boathouse, we had new boats. Uh, yeah. Were the guests solely laser focused on Indy or did you see that there was a bump that happened with Jungle at the same time? No, Jungle, Jungle got a bump, obviously being in the, in the vicinity of Indy and all, you know, Indy was always slammed, right? You know, I mean, that's the, you know, you kind of get the spillover effect you know, which was the opposite of kind of what would happen every night when Fantasmic was going. Like there was nobody on Jungle Cruise, right? Everyone was overdoing Fantasmic when that opened. But when Indy opened, I mean, there was this whole connection between the two areas. There were so many people, and they would go, they'd go on Jungle and the new boathouse, and you know, it was so. Yeah, we I, I it it was that whole side of the park over there, which is already congested because it's such a kind of a narrowing of the pathways as it as it is. You know, it just was constantly. And Indy would have, 
you know, the reliability at the beginning was not great. And so, you know, there was a lot, a lot that went on during the day that those lines were long all day long. So, the, the, yeah. the reliability wasn't great and it only got worse from there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it took quite a while to work the bugs out of it. And, and uh, I mean, oh. it was such, you know, such a novel approach to how Disney had done things before that it was, it was great. And it was, it was, that was an interesting experience because there was a whole new way of, of what, of responsibility for cast members also, right? I mean, so if you looked at, you know, Splash and some of the other, you know, there's cameras and there's dispatch and there's all sorts of other stuff, but this was a whole different way of doing stuff on the West side. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was interesting. Yeah. It, uh, from my time at, at Indy, both in the 03 to 08 range. And then most recently when I went back, uh, you know, she's an old girl, she's past 25 now and she's, yeah. uh, she's definitely showing her age. So, yeah, no, it's it's. I, I still enjoy it. My wife and I, who my my wife, she was worked uh, Adventure Frontier merch. That's where we met. We both did the 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 test and adjust times. And I mean, she would come off sometimes going, "Oh, my neck is killing," me. you know. So I mean, it was yeah. But back then, it was uh, you know, it was it was a fun experience to be able to to see Indy and be a part of it. And yeah, you go back now and you're like, "Wow, 25 years." Because I remember when we did the um, the you know, the premiere of it and the special event. And we had all the celebrities and everybody come in for it and, and things like that. So it was, it was pretty cool time to be involved with Indy. Yeah. Well, and I think Indy could benefit from what they've done with, with jungle cruise in Asia uh, with uh, projection mapping, you know, where they've been able to take their temples right. over there. I actually think that Indy, it, you know, if for an inexpensive, uh, opportunity to take it and kind of you know bring it up you just put a couple projectors in you know you you do a little bit of texturing and you create an entirely different attraction that has the the ability to change a little bit as you're in it mm -hmm. uh, so i mean i think it's a good opportunity and we'll see what happens with jungle i mean I, right now obviously yeah. all bets are off because budgets are you know going to be very dr dramatically different uh, i think the r d oh, yeah. imagineering budget uh this has been a rough week um, you know, there, I, I, the, the number of people who are on my, my, uh, contacts and friends lists who, you know, been laid off or who are on the precipice of it is uh, heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I know. You know, one of the things I'll say, if you're a Jungle Cruise fan and, uh, want to support, uh, the, the second harvest food bank in Orange County, uh, there's going to be a lot of cast members of all stripes that are going to be in positions where they need to to have a little support and help so that is one of them uh, that you could make a donation to that would be a, a huge impact to the people in anaheim who are going to start uh, having some difficulties unless the park is opening you know relatively soon and even then it, it's still going to yeah. be a long time before you know we get back to even a 20 percent 30 percent of capacity kind of scenario yeah it, it, and that that's interesting you know the the, the demographic of the of the Disney cast member. I don't know if it's changed. You know, when I was, when I was working there, you know, a lot of the people that worked there, you know, they were teachers or they were doing it for fun. And now it seems to be more like, you know, people are, are, are working at Disney as like, you know, one of multiple jobs that they have, you know? And so it's, it's, I, I feel bad for them because, you know, when I was, I was working there as a college kid, right. You know, so I was working, I was a CR, so I was working weekends, maybe a grad night shift once in a while. I was working over the summers and breaks. 
for me, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, if I don't, you know, if I don't get so many hours this week, I'm not going to be able to make my rent, you know, but now, unfortunately, it seems like that's kind of more in line with a lot of the people. And I've seen the protests and, and, and uh, the, the, the effort by, you know, people to get, you know, a living wage and everything else. And I, that it's, it, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's changed, but I feel bad because um, yeah, those, the people, they, they, they put their heart and soul into those jobs. Anybody that works at the park does. And, and that's unfortunate. And I've, I've been going through and checking my LinkedIn connections and emailing other people that I, I worked with that are still there. And some, you know, some have made it through and others are like, yeah, no, I got my notice. And so uh, it, it's, it's a really unfortunate uh, set of affairs that have, have occurred. Well, without getting into the, the economics and the, the politics of it, but you know, the, um, you know, the, the park base floor to their wage, uh, you know, is getting up. I think it's 1425 right now. Um, okay. For like the entry level, but you take a look at target, which starts at 15 and they have for a number of years back when the attractions uh, base, I think was $11 an hour. Uh, target was already at 14 uh, and you had in and in and out that was at 16 or, you know, it was always four or $5 an hour more to go work at in and out. Uh, but there oh, were yeah. but there were other benefits on the Disney side with main gate passes and discounts and camaraderie. Oh, sure. But you know, if you adjusted, if you went back and took a look at the you know 1985 uh, 30th anniversary wage and adjusted it to to a modern wage, it would be like twenty two dollars an hour. So yeah. it's it's a very different uh, economy of scale that they had to look at when they they had the the size that they did where the park just grew you know, in these gigantic exponential numbers where you had off-season numbers with 50,000 people in the park, you know, 60,000 people in for, oh, yeah. for February. And I remember in 01 where you might have 10,000 people in the park. Yeah. Uh, you know, where it's, yeah, no. it's just a totally different economy of scale. Yeah, I, I think when I became a lead, which my first attraction I became a lead on, it may have been Junkle, either that or, or Mark Twain, I forget. I think my lead rate was 1075 an hour. For some reason, that sticks in my head. So, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, there, there's been the, the ups and downs of the park relative to attendance, and there's, there's been times where it's just been nuts. And, I mean, you know, wall-to-wall people for, you know, New Year's Eve or certain days and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's been fun. It was interesting even watching it because, obviously – you know, after we left, we be, my wife and I left, we became you know, annual pass holders and we still go back and enjoy it. And our kid basically grew up there. So, but it's been interesting to see the evolution of the park um, and, you know, jungle to some extent of, you know, some changes. I was just, I was, when you were talking before about kind of, you know, some of the challenges that they're having uh, with, with uh, money right now, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, when they went in the success of pirates. So suddenly, you know, Jack Sparrow shows up in, in a bunch of scenes in Pirates. I wonder if we're going to end up with a rock now at different places throughout the, the jungle, you know. so Well, and there, there's still a large number of things that uh, I'm, you know, I've, I've been lucky to have some information regarding the movie and all that. I do know that that's not something that's on the, the agenda. I think the, the closest thing that they were talking about was taking a, a change of the rock's clothing and, and Emily Blunt's clothing and putting it up on the... Mm-hmm. The little laundry line there at the boathouse is kind, oh, okay. of, kind of an homage. Uh, no, it's cool. But you know, I I don't think that. Uh, look, Dwayne is a huge jungle fan. You know, and mm-hmm. there was always this question mark of, you know, is he just grabbing a property that kind of matches his persona? 
but no, he's just genuinely a Jungle Cruise fan. And the movie, from what I've I've been lucky enough to to have uh, the information, it's it's definitely a love letter to Jungle Cruise skippers. There are pages oh, and pages of Easter eggs and little call outs to people, and uh, you know, much in the same way that like Psych had their little call outs to Jungle Cruise people from Steve. Oh Franks. yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, that it is definitely going to be one that's going to be replayed and, and people are going to be peeping in the background for this prop or that prop or, or things that are, uh, tied into the legacy of the, the attraction. So no, I'm, uh, like I said, I've been lucky enough to have just enough information regarding the movie that I can say genuinely, uh, that, I, that I think it's, it's definitely, uh, not a cash grab. Uh, and I definitely... Pre-COVID, I saw it as a trilogy uh, that they really were going to look at doing three. I don't know where that sits right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We did, we just had Dune push back to 2021. The Batman was pushed right. back to 2022. Uh, you know, things are moving uh, in the wrong direction for uh, for the film. So hopefully we're still, you know, able to see it in the movie theater next summer. Uh, big yeah, big yeah, fingers I'm, crossed. I'm excited. I don't think it's it's the kind of movie you want to put on the small screen. I think that uh, the, that argument also was with Mulan that it it was the, right. ki- the kind of movie you want to see in big spectacle format. So, well, yeah. you, you touched on it, so I'm going to go back and circle back around. Uh, sure, you are uh, among the the fair number of people that we've talked to. Uh, Dave Atkins, as a for example, uh, who found their love at Disneyland. Uh, so, do you want to you yes. want to give that? Because first of all, you know. I, I, it's always a story you want to tell. So I'll let you go ahead and, right. uh, and tell us how that happened. Sure. So, so it was, let's see, got married in 96. I think we met in 94. And so I was, um, I was working obviously on, on the West side. She was in adventure frontier, uh, merchandise. And I was at the time I was doing phantasmic guest control. And if you remember, the entrance at the time was, you know, the inflow was through Frontierland over the bridge past the shooting gallery. And they would kind of queue up in front of Mark Twain. And then we'd push out everybody through Adventureland. And then we'd load in the, load in that area right there. And I think that was, I think the Frontierland area was Fantasmic 35 is the call sign for that one at the time. And, and uh, she was, she would work back and forth between Adventure Frontierland and the, uh, and one night I was out on, on Fantasmic Guest Patrol, and back then it was in Frontierland, was it Mercantile, the shops, the two shops that are in the front as you go in the entrance. One used to be, I think it might, now might be a leather shop or something like that, but it used to be a candy shop, the one that's right across from the pin shop. And she was in there, and I was going in under the guise of uh, getting some candy for my cast members. And she, uh, later on, she told me, she's like, yeah, he came in like three or four times. And she was thinking that I was such like a, I had such a sweet tooth and a candy hall, I was a candy holic guy, but I was just trying to get in there and get in enough, enough nerve to ask her out. And, uh, and so finally, yeah. So, so finally we went out and, and if you remember our first date was, uh, we went to Bobby McGee's if that, I don't know if you remember that over by the Brea mall. And it was one of those kind of, you know, crazy places where, you know, all sorts of, uh, swag and bedazzled and all that other stuff. And so we went to Bobby McGee's for dinner. And then um, we went back to Disney, uh, to Disneyland and Al Nasser, 
who I had worked with, you know, on the West side, um, got us the, the seats at, at the center tower of Fantasmic, the ones that are in there at the control center. And so there's like, you know, six or seven chairs that they set out for, for VIPs or for special viewing. And Al, who knew everybody, um, got us two of the seats in there. So we watched Fantasmic from, what is that, B Tower in the middle uh, and watched the show. And uh, yeah, so that was our first date. And, uh, you know, she had been working at Disney before me and I hadn't met her. She started back in the late 80s. I joined in 91 and then she left in 90, 94, 95, I think it was. So she left uh, before and then we got married in 96. Cool. Uh, well, and that's, you know, look, it's uh, you can always have your own Disney anniversary as all the years click over uh, co- oh, yeah. coinciding to the 40th right there. So, um, yeah, and it was it was interesting because, you know, of course, since we both knew so many people from Disney art, we had a Disney wedding and, uh, you know, or not Disney wedding, but I mean, you know, we had all the, all the Disney people there and, uh, you get together a bunch of jungle cruise skippers and West side people and thunder people and all that, and give them alcohol at a, at a wedding. Uh, it gets, it gets pretty interesting. We had a on the, on the tables, we had all those little disposable cameras, you know, that, so everyone can take pictures at the tables, which is where they're intended to be taken. But of course, several of them ended up in the restrooms and, and other places. And, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was, it was fun recapping the wedding through the eyes of, of Disney employees. Oh, so yeah. it well, was... I had, I had a fair contingent of skippers, uh, 15 or so at my wedding as well. So I, I totally know it. So, yeah. Well, your story didn't uh, end when you left the parks in 96. You came back and you worked backstage. Uh, and that's, yes. that's first of all, we can say our, our respects for Building 100, which is no more. Uh, been torn down as part of the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Mine Car. Mm-hmm. It's going to be opening up eventually. Um, but tell me about your story uh, working for the company as a mechanical engineer. So when I was when I was doing my time on the West Side in '91 to to '96, there um, I I was going to Cal Poly where I was doing my degree in aerospace engineering, and uh, I was looking for an opportunity because I loved you know I loved the idea obviously I loved engineering, but I loved also the idea of of the fact that there was so much engineering tied to the park itself. And I I set up I got an intern internship set up with. Uh, the ride and show people, Jerry Billings and a few other people that I had met just kind of reached out Jack Shippey, um, Rocky McDonald and a few other people that I had just kind of introduced myself to found a way to connect with, um, and set up an internship through Cal Poly over, over one of the summers. And so it was at the time engineering was in the back area over behind splash down and like over near one of the old, old wooden buildings that was still kind of down that way. And it was really it's kind of where galaxy yeah, is was, right now yeah kind of kind of on the curve yeah a little bit before that it was in the backstage up against the fence when when kind of when you're coming in um you know from the parking lot and uh and so it was you know engineering has never been at the time yeah, i mean engineering when i say engineering i mean kind of the site engineering not imaginary you know imaginary up in glendale is always you know is, is kind of where people focus but the engineering in the park the day-to-day stuff the facilities the maintenance and all that um you know, the park just wants to operate. They want to run rides and engineering, you know, kind of sometimes didn't get the credit that it, it deserved or the respect that it deserved. And so, you know, they were kind of stuck in the back. They, we would work on 
you know, um, ride mods or, or repair procedures or downtimes and, and how to fix things if, if, you know, new materials needed on, on like the urethane wheels on Thunder, whatever it was, you know, all that came through kind of the day-to-day support. And so I did an internship there over one summer and learned a lot working with a lot of people that ironically did come from the aerospace industry, right? You know, so aerospace, high tolerance, people's lives depend on it for airplanes, things like that. Kind of the same thing when it comes to Disney, right? So there's a lot of that same mentality and a lot of people that had worked at other companies like Northrop and Lockheed and other places. And so I did a summer there. Um, and then when I was, after I left and was my first job, my first real job was working um, for a company called Rockwell on the space shuttle program. Um, and a couple of years into that, about five years into that, they decided to move out of Southern California to Houston and I was not going to go to Houston. And so I reached back to those people that I had worked with before Jerry Billings and some others saw a posting for a mechanical engineer job and went back as a mechanical engineer working in TDA um, in, in an area called ride and show engineering. And then later in a year doing in the maintenance engineering, which was uh, the building 500 area. So um, it was a great, I mean, you talk about what you got to see as a cast member kind of in the, you know, behind the curtain of everything that goes on in the park on a day-to-day basis, but being in a, in a role like that as an engineer where you're working with all the, you know, everything that makes the attractions physically move and the, and the repairs and the downtimes and the mods and everything else. It was, it was a completely different perspective of the, of the company and, and the park than, than I'd ever had before. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, we're not in the business of, of spoiling the magic for anyone, but I'm curious, were there things, uh, did you have some memorable things that, you know, when you were on the other side of that curtain, uh, that either stood out to you or memories that really surprised you or getting to see something in a different way that was, was really interesting and memorable? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so it, at the time, you know, we were having a lot of issues. There's a couple of things that came up, and it, it's part of what happens, you know, in a, in a unique environment. You know, uh, when you think of something like a theme park, right, you know, when, when Walt was first doing everything in, in 54 and 55, there was no like, oh, here's how you do a theme park. Here's how you design it. You know, and a lot of what the company did was one off in the first off, you know, of, of any any of it ever having been done before. And so we found all sorts of stuff that would, you know, come up as a like splash. You know, we had a lot of issues with the logs smashing into the sides of some of the of some of the flume and, and had to come up with repairs for the boats themselves. And then we would do, you know, mark up the boats with with paint so you could see where certain parts of the boat were hitting what parts of the flume and so you know we'd be in the in the in splash overnight running logs just to kind of see where boats were impacting i don't know if it's still the the same deck that they have but the the teacups deck um before it was you know like all wood an all wood deck and i went through and i did the work to replace that with a composite material and then a spray on like a bed liner you know that you that what's it called uh u line or something there's a there's a a bed liner spray on that we use that on top of the deck of of the teacups so it was like you know unique things like that about the stuff that you get to do and and, and work through and you know i mean we're we were doing stuff in the river, figuring out the the, the coating was coming off the 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 I don't say the tracks of the Mark Twain, but you know there's things you know things like that that are all part of like well how are we going to fix this? And uh, because I had experience working the attractions for five years, I'd get a lot of questions like oh did you guys used to do this on attractions or what about this? And so I was always able to bring in my 
uh, attractions experience and talk about stuff on Thunder or or on Jungle Cruise or on Splash or whatever. So I worked a lot of those attractions um, as a result of of what what I'd already you know known from five years you know shooting hippos and everything else that I could relate to those in a lot in a, in a different manner than some people could that that had never worked the attraction or didn't know it as intimately. And so I ended up with working a lot of the West Side attractions as a result of that. Uh, so obviously, you know, coming from, you know, the depth of attraction knowledge that you did, I can see how that would really help on the engineering side. Did you find mm -hmm. that um, that your early days working the attractions and, and, you know, jungle, the attitude, the sense of humor, improvisation, uh, did, did that early experience follow you into your later days, even after you left the park in 03? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the... The way that you have to learn to handle yourself as being a jungle cruise skipper carries over in so many ways, right? I mean, so, I mean, there's there's an aspect of being able to take anything that's thrown at you, right? When you're on the jungle, you never know what's going to happen, right? So animation could break down. Your gun may not fire. You could have a, you know, you could have a six shot. You never know what's going to happen. You could have a terrible, a terrible crew and they don't laugh at anything, but you still have to figure out a way to, to press on, right? So, I mean, the life lessons that you learn being a jungle cruise skipper it, it, it's, you know, there's so many that you can, that you can list. Um, and the fact that, you know, you're standing in front of a boat of people and, and, and talking to people you've never met before. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like how you have to do things in life sometimes just going into a business meeting or whatever. So, I mean, I learned so much from being a jungle cruise skipper and, and some of it's just letting things roll off your back. Some of it's how do you handle adverse situations? Others it's like, Hey, I've got to have enough courage to stand up and talk to people that I've never met and and tell them all this stuff. So, yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot from Jungle as well as, you know, all the attractions that I work. There's there's a, you know, the 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 people engagement and people component of it is, is such a such a, a great uh learning environment and it's, you know, it, it goes beyond just the people watching that everyone talks about. You know, you go to Disneyland and just people watch and see what people are doing. But it's it's a great way to build you know, uh, build your, your, your life skills. And that's why, you know, you see people that there's some people that take it too far that ham it up and that, you know, they overdo it and whatever. So there's people that that's what they want. They want to be on the stage, you know, but even if you're just kind of there doing your job, you can learn a lot just about how to interact and treat people and respect them. And, and it did carry over when I was, you know, working as an engineer because, you know, I could kind of relate to people in the, that were in those same roles. And I, I had that experience. Hey, I've, I've done Jungle Cruise ships. I've worked on Thunder. I've worked on Twain or whatever. And so when I was coming in, it, it also gave me, I don't want to say street cred, but it gave me the ability to talk to them in the same manner, you know, from what they're going through. And then taking those experiences, you know, Disney's all about interactions and relationships and, and building on, on, on that and the guest interactions. And so I still take it, you know, I mean, I still talk about my time on Jungle or I was at a, I was at a, a leadership class at our, at our Boeing leadership center and they, you know, you do a little bio or whatever. And I was in doing this, this little video with him and I go, Oh, and I used to be a jungle cruise skipper. And the guy goes, guy teaching class goes, I can see that, you know? So there's, there's something about it that just kind of carries through in terms of how you carry yourself. And, the, and like I said before, the swagger. So yeah, it, it leaves a mark on you in so many ways. I'll say. It's funny. I, uh, I'm in the middle of getting some work lined up here in, in Ohio and, uh, so I hand off my resume and to a, a, my first phone screen with this company. And out of the 30 minutes, I'd say we talked about Disney for 20 of the time. 
Uh, oh yeah. So yeah, it's if it's on the resume, it's an immediate uh, interesting story to to go off of. Well, the oh yeah, it's it's a segue. Segue oh, yeah. to a lot of things. Well, you know, and that's that's networking. Is you find the things that people have interests or you have in common or whatever to to create those relationships. Uh, so I, you've heard a couple of the episodes. Uh, I always like to wrap mm-hmm. up to give uh, an opportunity if there are. If there's a story, uh, like, you know, when people say, oh, you worked on the Jungle Cruise, if there's kind of like your go-to story or you had uh, a, an interaction that's really super memorable or if you had a celebrity story, uh, something that you want to put down kind of for posterity or you want to, you know, mention a few more names that you might have forgotten that uh, you'll you'll uh, take crap if you don't uh, mention their names <laughs> back to them. Uh, you know, this is this is your opportunity to uh, to, to put those down for posterity. Yeah, I'll give I'll give my I'll give my uh, celebrity story. It wasn't on Jungle. Um, it was part of the Indiana Jones kickoff event, and I was doing the guest control with it. And uh, I got to escort Wayne Gretzky around the park. So that was that was pretty cool. And then we ran into Janet Jones later on. So that that was my that was kind of I I saw other people, but that was my closest. Where you know escorting him to the bathroom and to the restaurant and everything else. So that was my kind of, that was my claim to fame for, for, uh, for, for, um, uh, celebrities, which was pretty cool. Well, the, the, um, the, Gret- then, the Gretzky okay. cred will go, the Gretzky cred will go a long way with a lot of people that I know <laughs> listen to this, uh, to the show. Yeah, that, that was pretty fun. It was interesting to, to hang around with him throughout the day. Um, and then a shout out to, you know, I, I, going through the, the podcast that you have, it's, it, it was, like running across like oh my gosh i can't believe you know so i mean i i sh- shared with you the pictures of the the larry camel artwork that i have from the the videos that he that he produced and you know larry camel and jim best and uh you know other people that 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 were out on the river or or worked on the mark twain and columbia and you know chris lambert who i you know haven't seen in years and some of the people that were at our wedding, it just brings back all these memories. Uh, you know, Matt Stiebel, Aaron Millett, Ma- who became Aaron Stiebel. Tom, yeah, Tom Meslovitz would probably be in that era. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah, Doug DeVette and uh, uh, Jim Ogletree as well. Yeah, so it, it was, you know, I, I, I haven't kept in touch with as many of them as, as I'd like. And so if, if anything comes out of this, I'd love to, to reconnect. And at some point, uh, I, I heard you talking about the – the get together that they used to have, what every other year, which I know they're not obviously doing anytime soon, but you know, be able to go back and connect with some of those people face to face and just catch up. Vern Brock, um, other people that uh, that I have. Eric Corona. I don't know if you've ever talked to him from the from the Tiki Room, but yeah, there's a lot of names and and that just bring me back to that time, which was a really good experience working working the West Side. It's uh, you build a lot of those friendships, and it's interesting looking back and like you said, wow, 30 years later, it's like man. Those, those were some really formative years and uh, established some friendships with some really good people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they they did a 2019 get-together, 951 get-together, and, uh, okay. uh, you know, unfortunately it is uh, a, a different time and era with what we, were, what we have going on now. So, uh, But I'm sure that down the road those kind of get-togethers, if they move back out of the virtual space, will, will happen again. I know people... Uh, want to reconnect and want to, uh, to, you know, raise a glass and and enjoy the good times and have some good memories. So, well, uh, John, thank you so much. I mean, this kind of wraps up. This is my first episode of season eight. I want to say, am I getting oh, that sure. right? Uh, so, you know, we've had a little bit, wow. of a, a little bit of a break with all this going on. Yeah, 2011 was when we started this in August. So, I'm sorry, season nine. 
I guess it would be. So wow, congratulations! Uh, that's that's impressive. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, maybe it's year nine, season eight. I got to go through and do the math on it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we we continue to have a couple hundred downloads a day of people who want to uh, to listen to the old jungle stories. So we're excited about it. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, you know, next time that I'm in Southern California, we'll see. Uh, you know, if the social distancing will allow the paths to cross, but it certainly was a pleasure chatting Absolutely. with you. It, uh, that era is one of my favorites just because, you know, the introduction of the, the female skippers and Indiana Jones and, you know, the mid nineties were kind of uh, one of the big renaissances for, for adventure yep. land. So, uh, yeah. you know, the, the change in that tropical hideaway is fantastic. And uh, I'm sure that the long-term adventure land will continue being one of the crown jewels. So, uh, John, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, to everyone everyone else out there in internet land, Kungaloosh will have more episodes coming to you soon.